On this episode, Star Trek rises from the grave, albeit a bit slowly. Jim Kirk gets the band back together. His ride gets a sleek new look, and the people of Earth learn the hard way that things you put in the cloud never really quite go away and sometimes come back to bite you in the ass. It's Star Trek The Motion Picture. I'm Captain Awesome. I am the Triple Hippie. And there are no seatbelts on this bridge. Star Trek the motion picture. This is the return of the Star Trek franchise, uh, not to be confused with the TV series that they wanted to make. Uh, this was released in December on December 7th, 1979. 79. Uh, I always thought this was December 78, 79. Huh? All right. Yeah. Um, so just to put this in perspective, I did see this at the dollar theater with my dad because I was one when it was released. <laughs> um, so I wasn't quite old enough to get in. Um, I did fall asleep when I watched this, mostly because it's Star Trek, the motionless picture. <laughs> um, and if I'm honest, I've fallen asleep several times since, including this last viewing. <laughs> it's amazing because this, this movie to me has almost a uh, homeopathic nature to it that I watched it the first time when I was a very young was I about 12 i guess i uh, watched it and walked out completely confused in fact i was i was so i was almost happy because i had read the novelization because i knew i wouldn't get to see the movie until long after it came out um and so i read the novel and i thought i have no idea what just happened there but i can hardly wait to watch the movie because it'll clear it all up and then i walked out of that movie feeling a little at least a little bit better about my reading comprehension going yeah cinematically i have no idea what was going on they went a little too hard trying to do the 2001 of you know what and then we'll have an ending that nobody gets <laughs> okay so you're absolutely right. Uh, they went real hard into 2001. I mean, let's put this in perspective. Star Wars came out, was a massive, massive hit, had all kinds of stuff that nobody had ever seen before. Then we've got Kubrick with 2001 A Space Odyssey, which let's be honest, that movie makes no sense either. <laughs> but it is something, I mean, watching it in the 2000s, it still looks amazing. It's yeah. still such a cool concept. The tech in it looks so cool. Yeah, there's a few, you know, uh, antiquated button style. You know, some of the interfaces tend to look like answering machines and things like that. <laughs> but it still just works, right? <laughs> so these guys really went out of their way to try to make that happen. I'm almost running out of things to say because then it gets real bad real fast. I mean, this is... So for, for the record, we did watch the director's cut. So... It is four whole minutes longer and in the 4K. And, and don't get me wrong, it's gorgeous. And uh, I was reading through some of the notes on this and apparently they went back and actually redid some of the special effects using yes. modern computers, which is really great. But yeah, I, I think the extra time they added in was the when they did the um, director's cut that came out on DVD, um, they sped up some sequences, especially the Scotty and Kirk travel around the ship sequence. They sped that up. When I watched this new 4K version, mm -hmm. yeah, they put every minute back in. So really I really wanted you to. Look I at made that a stuff. note here. So in the opening credits, 
Uh, it was two minutes and 49 seconds until I got out of the star field before <laughs> the credits that got this me was, to the Paramount logo. This is one of the very last movies to actually have an overture before the movie began. Yep. And then after the Paramount logo, they go into the credits, which is the classic Star Trek theme song that's used for all of TNG. Fantastic song. It's a beautiful piece. Yes, I agree. Uh, however, because they wanted you to listen to the entire thing, uh, it is four minutes and 30 seconds until the <laughs> first person is on screen to start the movie. <laughs> oh my God. I, I'll be completely honest. I thought I was being overly sensitive to the amount of time it took. <laughs> I sat down at my computer. I turned on the movie hit go and then proceeded to start setting up some stuff. I had to, I had to redo some <laughs> stuff on my computer. I had to log into some things. I had to look up some news and I'm like, Oh man, I totally forgot to watch to like, I, I forgot I was watching a movie and I switched back over and I'm like, mm, Nope, still hasn't started yet. <laughs> okay. Went off and did some other things, came back. Nope. Still hasn't started yet. <laughs> it just goes on and on. And this movie starts with such a tease too, because after you go all through that, you see, okay, a blue nebula, I guess, but then you see Klingon ships and immediately as a Star Trek fan, you go, oh yeah, here we go. Here oh, we go. Yeah. And what you don't realize is the Klingons aren't the bad guys. Actually, they're going to be the victims of the real villain, the large cloud. Yep. Thank and you that, guys. That's, that's really going to kick it off. You just took our favorite villains and turned them into the sad little puppy that got kicked by a cloud. One thing that is just kind of funny, this, this whole scene, Klingons come and we think, oh, Klingons are really actually in the novelization. One of the things is happening is that in the novelization, they already have um, holodecks and mm -hmm. Jim is watching this in a holodeck and he notices the new Katinga class Klingon cruisers and his immediate worry is those things look way more powerful than our intelligence had said this is the closest look we had at him and he thinks this whole briefing is about these ships because he's he's not sure that the ships that Starfleet has at this time would measure up to these Klingon ships and then he sees them all wiped out just within a few moments I think that's kind of a Star Trek thing though like hey remember these really bad guys that are real scary <laughs> Oh, bad stuff happens to them too. I, now credit where it's due. The, the new Klingons, they're pretty badass. I mean, they've got yes. the ridges. They've got those. This is where they introduce that really cool leather and steel armor, which I mean, it's Klingons. They're, they're amazing looking, right? Yeah. Um, this is going to set the, the aesthetic for the Klingons for a long, long time. Other absolutely. than the, the hair gets longer, but, uh, um, and then of course uh, we have Mark Leonard playing the, the captain of the Klingon ship. So this would be the third alien he, he plays in Star Trek playing Sarek, uh, Sarek uh, uh, in journey to Babel. And then he plays the Romulan commander in balance of terror. Yeah. Um, Sarek was our, excuse me. Mark Leonard was awesome. He, he, he got to play Sarek for years and years and years. Um, he did guest starring. Uh, di didn't he eventually do a Klingon again later, in, later in life as well? I think so. I think that does ring a bell. Yeah. Um, interestingly, this is also where they introduced the Klingon language, uh, courtesy of our good buddy, Jimmy Doohan. Yeah. Uh, 
it turns out he's actually the one who invented the Klingon language because they were trying to come up with something that sounded cool and he just did it. And <laughs> uh, turns out Klingons are Scottish. Go figure. Now, what I didn't know is he also uh, was the one who came up with the Vulcan language, which we'll hear in the scene with Spock coming up a little bit later. No kidding. I did not. Yeah, that find was that. that's pretty cool. That was a new one on me. Very neat. Uh, I think the Klingon bridge actually does look like somewhere where you could actually do some work. Unlike later <laughs> renditions that all are just, you know, a couple pylons and people standing around staring at a big screen. Far fewer uh, steam pipes running through right? the bridge, which right? I've always, you know. Now, one thing I did find that was really cool about this is uh, they proved you actually can do a lot of work because you can also have a funeral for a Vulcan in here. As <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Klingon bridge stood in in Star Trek II for uh, the uh, photon torpedo bay where they buried uh, Spock in, in space. I guess not at sea. <laughs> Turns out you turn off the red lights, the ships all look the same. <laughs> it's everything. All of the ships in Star Trek look the same. It's just a matter of lighting, right? <laughs> so we we have three Klingon ships. They get they get electrocuted by the cloud and they disappear. And we immediately head over to a space station. What is the name of this space station again? Spock says it in the oh boy, I can't believe Epsilon Nine. There it is. There yes, it is. Epsilon, Epsilon Nine. Nine. So the Epsilon Nines. Well, is it is it the Epsilon Nine space station or is the planet Epsilon Nine? And this is a station above it. I thought it was Epsilon, Epsilon 9 uh, uh, hearing station. I, ah. I think they were in charge of like keeping an eye on the uh, that section of the neutral zone. That makes sense. Now, this was a really cool scene, um, but wow, was it a 2001 ripoff? Um, <laughs> I mean, even the spacesuits, it looks like they borrowed them. Uh, I, I'm not really sure why Hal let them take those, but they did. <laughs> Uh, this is a big giant space space station. They're all freaking out because they can see the cloud is coming, and they've also just seen it devour three Klingon ships. And of course, you have to do the thing. Where is it headed? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's coming right for us. Where is everything headed? You know, Earth has just got a reputation. Somewhere <laughs> out there, there there is a woman in her late sixties, early seventies, who's like, yeah, but you know, the opening scene of uh, the motion picture. I was the one who said, Captain, it's it's on a direct intercept course. That was it. That's that's her entire claim to fame. <laughs> now, the commander of this of uh, the Epsilon 9 station, of course, is the actor who unfortunately thought he was going to have a longer job with Star Trek. Uh, he was actually going to be the replacement for Spock when this whole enterprise, pardon the pun, this whole production was originally going to be something called Star Trek Phase Two, which was going to be a TV series, um, which Spock was not going to be a part of. And uh, I can't remember the actor's name, and I should have wrote it down. But that same actor is the guy who was going to play Shorn, who was going to be the stand-in. He was going to be the Vulcan of the show, basically. Um, Let, let's take a minute and talk about the the TV series. Um, because I think there's a lot to be said there. Uh, the TV series is responsible for this storyline. It is one of the storylines that was written for the TV show. Originally titled The God Thing. Yeah. Which freaked the Paramount executives off. You can't say God in a... No, we're not doing that. 
Well, at least not for five more years. <laughs> let's let's back up a sec. Paramount cancels Star Trek. When they cancel Star Trek, there's a massive letter writing campaign. Um, the fans want a season three, but then it was canceled again. After that happened, there was kind of silence for a while. Uh, eventually, it was decided that they were going to make a TV show, uh, and they actually got greenlit for it for a while. Yes. Um, strangely enough, Paramount was actually extremely future focused. They were one of they were building the fourth TV network. They were planning on actually building a Paramount only TV network. And that's where this was going to, uh, was going to play out. And I think that's, that's really a, a cool thing. Um, I forget what they, what they were going to call it, but I mean, think about it as Paramount plus way back in the, the late seventies. Yeah. Yeah. And actually what they would do with, they would actually do it with UPN when Voyager came out. Cause that was kind of one of their yep. flagships. Star Wars comes out. Everybody realizes there's absolutely money to be made in this sci-fi thing. Uh, and so they, they green light the actual TV show. Uh, they put together a great cast. Uh, Decker was actually going to be a, uh, a character on that show, though they didn't have him cast yet. Ilya was supposed to be on the show. Uh, Persis Kambata. Oh, I just, yeah, I just read today that two of the, uh, the guys that were in it towards the end with Stephen Collins were, um, um, the gentleman who, uh, Robinson, the gentleman who played Garrick in deep space nine. No way. And Tim Thomerson from scanners and Dollman. Uh, Stephen cool. Collins actually said that he really had no knowledge of star Trek at all. And he avoided it. Now, in this case, he said he didn't feel the weight of the project as much because he was kind of avoiding looking at Star Trek or interacting, interacting with fans too much. I get that. And that's a, that's a tough franchise to be a part of if you're not really going to be going out of your way to, to have a lot of contact. Yeah. And this being the first expansion of the, uh, of the franchise, so to speak. So the, the, the TV show is uh, eventually shelved because Paramount decided that they weren't going to be able to afford to start a new network. And when the new network wasn't going to be there, they had nowhere really that they were going to try to sell that TV show. So they canceled the whole thing. Uh, they had actually already started on uh, the, not just the writing, but also set building. Uh, some of the uh, uh, production design stuff was already done. That's, yes. Uh, so yeah, it was, you know, it was well on its way. People thought they were, they had jobs uh, and then they, they canned the entire thing. The good news is, is that one of those stories, uh, the God thing was good enough that they decided to turn it into Star Trek, the motion picture. Now, one uh, thing about the TV series, also just minor yeah. trivia, the Enterprise refit that was originally designed for the TV show is actually very much what uh, Discovery looks like. The uh, wide triangle secondary hull uh, with the nacelles going on it. The thing I read said that... Uh, the original art designer who was uh, uh, Jeffries, Robert Jeffries, mm -hmm. uh, saw the drawings, thought they were just horrendous uh, because he believed that the Enterprise should be somewhat elegant. And he's the one who actually came up with the refit design that we saw in the in the subsequent movies. And I'm thankful for that because I really like this Enterprise. It's probably, other than Christopher Pike's Enterprise from Strange New Worlds, this is this is my favorite version of it. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the nacelle design is really cool. I like the way they went with the, the more square narrow design. Uh, the sweat, they, back to, sweat back pylons. Absolutely. Interesting thing. When I was reading about that, um, 
Do you know why their nacelles up on sticks like that? Engineering was always supposed to be in the cylinder section at the bottom. Right. And the idea of putting the pylons out there was not because it looked cool. It was because they were like, you know, if I was an engineer and I'm dealing with this basically, you know, nuclear bomb of an engine, <laughs> I wanted as far away from me as possible. <laughs> and so the idea was, is that not only was it really far away, but it was also easily replaced so that they could just pop the thing off and put a new one on. If something Oh, happened. yes. Yes. And so the, the idea from the very beginning is that those pylons that go up to the, um, uh, up to the nacelles are actually just supports, nothing else. There's not nothing really going through there except what's ne what's absolutely necessary. Yeah, the the concept for the Enterprise D, where the saucer section was separate, um, originally from the original series, as you mentioned, the, it wasn't supposed to separate. The pylons were supposed to separate, um, and they actually had plans to do that in an episode, but cost wise, it just never never seemed actually, feasible. I've always thought that too. But in that same design article I was reading earlier, and I need to find that and quote it, Ooh. but in that same design article, they were saying that some, on one episode of the original series, they mentioned separating the saucer section. And that was actually something they were supposed to do in the new series. And then when that got canned, they were going to add it into the motion picture, but they couldn't figure out a way to work it into the story well enough that made the, the extra expense worthwhile. Yeah, I can see that. Right. But it, that means that it was on the table as something they absolutely wanted to do in next gen right off the bat. And that's why it's in episode one, because it, they kept putting it off and putting it off. And they're like, no, no, no this is really cool. We want to do it. <laughs> also, just in that same vein, the reason that you have, even though it's very, very quickly, the reason you have an engine room scene in episode one was because nobody had written one and they figured out the last minute and they knew after the pilot, they weren't getting more money for more sets. So they had to write a scene in the engine room really quick just so they could actually get the budget to build it. I don't know what they were worried about. They had an engine room sitting around. <laughs> uh, that came There's from uh, Star around. Trek six, I believe. <laughs> um, let's, let's take a, a little break from the enterprise for a moment. Let's hop over to Vulcan. Uh, because our, uh, our friend Spock is for some reason, a dirty hippie, uh, he's <laughs> on his knees on Vulcan. I, I feel like there's, there's something in the last episode of, uh, the old series that I didn't quite notice where Spock is exiled to Vulcan and has to find his true self and turns into a dirty hippie out of nowhere. <laughs> I don't remember that episode, but I feel like that should be there. In um, the novelization, he left not long after the five-year mission, and McCoy lays a major guilt trip on Jim Kirk about Spock left because, because you weren't going to be a captain anymore. He really was unhappy with Jim taking the promotion. I just don't think that's a healthy thing for any of them to have said. I think all of them really needed to concentrate on their own careers. And You, know, <laughs> you want to go be a, an admiral? That's cool. I'm you know, I'm a doctor. I don't really need to, to follow you everywhere. I'm a huge Spock fan. So this for me was really, really cool because here we actually set down the, uh, the huge statues, the huge uh, sculptures, mm -hmm. uh, the that Colossus would, of Vulcan that will, and those will show up again and again in, uh, in later shows as we see Vulcan. So this was really, really cool just to actually get a little glimpse of, uh, of Spock's home world, even though very, very small, but still. 
pretty fun. Um, so Spock's on his knees. He's uh, he's he's about to take the colonar, um, and uh, he is handed a necklace that will cement his his acceptance of of logic. And, and as soon as all the emotions, right? Oh. And as soon as they go to put the necklace on him, he's like, "No, I hear something." <laughs> so he just kind of gets this weird look on his face, like I, I totally hear something. Now I'm gonna t- I'm gonna say right away, there's something wrong with this scene because he cocks his head to the side and he's like, "There, I, I sense something out there." And she's like, "That's your human side." Hold on a second. So you're telling me that you, from a telepathic species are going to give him crap because he senses something in the galaxy. And you're like, no, that's, that's because you're made from monkeys too. It's because he's latching on to it. Sensing it's one thing, but for him to be distracted during the colonar, no, Uh, you're supposed to be focused. I don't know. Focused baby. Incidentally, (laughs) this, this is the first of many movies to use my favorite of the Star Trek, uh, uh, Swiss army knives, the mind meld. And let's talk about the use of the mind meld here, because, I mean, she just tells him, hey, get your face over here. But, I mean, just about 100 years earlier, Vulcans didn't even talk about mind melds. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first full mind meld that T'Pol would undergo in Enterprise would traumatize her for years. But it just seems there's a really, really big change around uh, uh, the idea of, oh, no, we can mind meld all we want now. I mean, Sarek will do it in, in Star Trek three. Just, hey, Kirk's down, you know, let me in oh. your head. You know, it. Uh, I, I swear to God, halfway through TNG, if a Vulcan shows up, they're like, hey, can you help me find my wallet? I can't <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. Like, oh, yeah. Let me mind meld. It'll be fine. I swear. It's just it's all over the place. Um, and that's I mean, what you get with this new generation. They're just normalizing mind melts <laughs> right and left. Uh, okay. So one thing I also noticed is that they're like, you know, you're not ready for the colonar. We're out. And they all leave him there. And what do they do? They leave him with the necklace and he picks it up. He's like, I got the necklace. <laughs> like he doesn't, like he doesn't need them to approve it. <laughs> I just appeared. He was going to eBay the thing. Right. <laughs> I figure it's it's one of those things that it's it's like many cults, you know, when uh, they they give you this divine thing that you've got to wear, you also have to buy it from the gift shop. So I, I figure that he's like, well, I already paid for it. I'm going to take so, it. So you think he was going to be a level three level uh, laser lotus? Yeah, exactly. that, that was what he was going for. <laughs> so uh, we jump over to Starfleet headquarters. Um then we we see one of the other things yes this is the first time we see starfleet uh and this will begin one of the pet peeves i have about the entire franchise starfleet headquarters is on a hill in san francisco at the end of the golden gate bridge (laughs) by itself there are no other buildings what the hell happened to san francisco (laughs) and reportedly the reason it is in san francisco is just because gene roddenberry loved that city yeah well and it uh it was also because they wanted to have it in Paris and he was like, mm, no, nah, I don't like the French. <laughs> so our opening sequence for Starfleet is uh, we're in a train station. Yes, they're shuttles, but I'm telling you right now, this is a train station. <laughs> Every one of the shuttles lands on a track, goes to the end of the track, a door slides open and out walks Kirk. And a very thin looking William Shatner that we'd find out was 
thanks largely to a corset, but uh, yep, it becomes very obvious later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He he walks out and he gets called over by a Vulcan, who turns out is his new science officer. Uh, Sonak, eighty percent sure. We'll go with Sonak. Sonak, it is. Sounds good to me. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Because he, he, he's not going to be around very long. Uh, I, so here's the thing. I understand that they were going for an admiral who is all business. But I got to say, Shatner's performance is just rude as hell. Like He's just mean to everybody. This There was supposed to be a lead up. He, um, there, was, there was supposed to be a scene that was never shot. The Nogura Kirk scene was actually never shot. And it was supposed to be be him pretty much psyching himself up to go in and tell his boss listen i've done everything you said for three years now you're going to do what i say um That's fair. and it, it and so it was supposed to be leading up to him having this also they were kind of scrunching in a uh, a storyline that was supposed to be going through the TV series, which was Kirk's problem with his age, which would creep up in Star Trek too. But that was going to be something, a recurring theme and kind of his bitterness uh, towards things passing him by. Well, flat out, they, uh, they, they were uh, prepping to kill off Kirk in case Bill tried to hit him up for more money. Yeah. And Decker was supposed to just be, I wonder if that's why they named him Decker. Because he was supposed to be on deck, <laughs> and of I'll, course, I'll bet Star- you there's some writers' room somewhere where the, there was a guy who was like, you know. <laughs> so, Star Trek trivia: Will Decker is the son of Matt Decker, uh, who died in the Doomsday Machine, which is probably my favorite episode of all time. Yeah. So he he's immediately when he meets this, this Vulcan science officer, he, he immediately is like, you know, meet me on board and you can kind of see there's a recurring theme starting here too, because he doesn't say it out loud, but basically he's going to steal him an enterprise. Yeah. This is right the, off the, bat. this is the beginning of a habit that will not go away. Right. <laughs> um, so now we have to go see this enterprise that he's going to steal. Uh, so he, he beams on board uh, the, uh, space station. Uh, this is an, this is the earth station. Now this is before the five mile high giant earth station. <laughs> this is the old school one. That is, uh, another 2001 ripoff. Everything's got a little bit of rotation to it. Everything's gleaming white. It's and... kind of like an orbital office building from the look of it. Oh yeah, totally. Well, it even <laughs> says, uh, it says, uh, office level three when they're, uh, when they're getting ready to beam up. So Kirk beams on board. He's immediately just a total jerk to everybody around him. He's like, like he beams on board and Scotty's like, Oh, it's so good to see you. And he's like, Scotty. And then he's like, why aren't the transporters working on the ship? Like just right off the bat. Now <laughs> um, this also is going to become a theme for some reason. Scotty just can't make transporters work on any ship, which is funny because his last performance in Star Trek, he's actually trapped in a transporter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 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 dependency of of warp engines and transporters uh, during the 
the uh, you know around 22 23 which is when this movie is supposed to be happening uh, yeah just real suspect they just they seem to go out with alarming regularity especially for something that you're kind of putting your life into the hands when you're uh, right. being transmitted into energy and then reconstituted into matter well and we'll also find out a little bit later that uh scotty doesn't know anything about warp engines either um, <laughs> so that's that's kind of fun uh incidentally this is our pre-belly doohan um thankfully for him the uh this is so this is the first iteration of the uniforms that just are designed to make anyone look overweight uh, no matter how slim and trim they are they're designed to make you look overweight and thankfully he uh he, he got better uh tailoring this time so it didn't it didn't hit him but that'll change in later movies um and yeah, the only reason michelle I, nicole's really disliked the uniforms I guess. Oh yeah. But from what I hear, I, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody who had to wear them was happy with them at all. I mean, in all fairness, uh, she probably should have looked in a mirror because she looked great in this movie. Like that, yeah. Oh, as yeah. much as it was probably uncomfortable and probably made her feel like she was being objectified, it was very striking on her. Um, yes. And everybody did have the, the Care Bear stare belly button uh, buckles. <laughs> Uh, which are my absolute favorite. Uh, the the use of a little cutout on the front of the uniform that encapsulates the belt buckle that is clearly still wrapped around them underneath their clothing. They kind of look like a a hard shell uh, fanny pack. You know, <laughs> right. <into> your <laughs> now these were supposed to be the precursors of the combat, not for so much for the communications, but these were supposed to monitor your vital signs. Uh, uh, basically, they were like a, a you know Apple smartwatch that was on your tummy and and was supposed to be located over your solar plexus, and it would be transmitting this information to the ship's computers all the time. So, talk about no privacy. Yeah, they right. they were recording everything. Well, and I mean, think about TNG on how many times they slapped that computer that communicator button. Can you imagine <laughs> having to slap your belly every time you want to talk to somebody? Oh, <laughs> gosh, they had to move it just because when dealing with with other races they just too many of them found it very uncomfortable so they right <laughs> so the next thing that happens is they hop into a little shuttle a little maintenance shuttle and they go out for their flyby of the new enterprise now i'm not entirely sure what happened here um they started doing that flyby approximately six hours later i fell asleep i woke up went to disneyland i Came home, had a hot, an entire hockey season. I went back to sleep. I woke up again. There were still like 20 minutes of this scene left. Um, At and, one point, oh. we actually watched them go past the ship and turn around yep. without the ship being in there. Just the shuttle pod itself oh, going no. the two miles per hour that it's going. It's like, what? We couldn't have inferred that it turned around at some point. We had to actually watch that. That was important to the continuity of the scene right there. So let's watch them turn around. I actually timed it. So they get in the shuttle. They have a little bit of wordplay. Scotty lays his hand on Kirk's arm in this gesture that was like, you remember that one night when we drank all that Romulan ale? (laughs) It was very, very touching. And it's from that point all the way until the shuttle docks with the Enterprise. It is a, a solid five minutes. I believe it's 10 seconds short of five minutes. 
And in a movie, that's just insane. It seems like we're trying to establish that Jim Kirk is romantically in love with the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Which, the look on his face the entire time. It's just, it's, it's, yeah. Given the way that that shuttle docked with the Enterprise, I'm, uh, it was a little <laughs> romantic. Uh, Which but, actually cracks me up because it kind of brings up something that uh, Nimoy would talk about later in that we got all the money for the special effects and all of a sudden the movie started to become more and more about the things in the movie rather than the people in the movie. Yep. <laughs> well, but that's, again, that's, that's a, a 2001 thing, right? 2001 yeah. is all about the tech. It, it's not about the, the romance of it. And star or star Trek was really about the, the romance star Wars was about the, uh, the cowboy flick, right? <laughs> Well, um, it's always one of my favorites when people uh, bring up the thing is like well are you born into star trek or star wars like that's kind of like asking me would i prefer dos boot to titanic because i mean they're both movies about boats in the ocean right so right. they're the same thing <laughs> listen uh, did i like bonanza or Gunsmoke? i don't know <laughs> do we have to choose right um so i you know, in all fairness, as, as long and as painful as that scene was, it really is gorgeous. The ship is beautiful. The scene is beautiful. You know, the earth kind of rotating away behind it, the, the way they made the space dock, it, it was all done very, very well. Um, and the, the new paint scheme of that creamy white and the pale blue, really pretty. Yeah. Um, yes. Very Kubrickian, but beautiful absolutely gorgeous and so really, yeah. really popped on the uh, on the film totally and i i agree with you i think this is this is one of the best ships that there is it is pretty i love me some disco enterprise what was kind of weird to me though is at the end of it they ended up in the cargo bay like they they were in a maintenance shuttle that docked with a cargo bay and they walked in there instead of just taking a shuttle straight into the shuttle bay <laughs> i I thought that was kind of weird. And like, as they docked with it and walked through this like weird maintenance hatch, there's actually a shuttle coming in through the force field. Like there, it works. <laughs> this is going to be the first of two scenes in which the director is just fascinated by people backing up, backing right. up into a parking space. This, this exactly. is the first of the- <laughs> Um, So you know, they enter the cargo bay. He parts ways with Scotty, who's clearly very proud of where he's at. Kirk walks into a, uh, or, or starts heading to a hallway and a very nice ensign walks up to him. And is like, Hey, can I, can I give you a hand and help you where to go? And once again, Kirk is a total jerk to everybody. And it's like, I could find my way. Like, okay, dude, sorry. I'm just trying to help. <laughs> yeah. You're not insecure at all. Right. <laughs> so he heads up to the, bridge the gang's all here everybody's hey, oh yay. Hey. the captain's catch. back wardrobe catch um <laughs> all their uniforms are different which if you think about what that sentence just said it's a little weird you <laughs> right never mind <laughs> um so this bridge if you'll also notice every single seat does not have a seat belt we do have lap clamps, but that's not the same thing. I thought something that I, that I read today, something that was really interesting to keep the uh, image of the uh, the bustle of the ship. 
the director instructed anybody who was not one of the main actors always had to have at least something in one hand when they were walking around. Another thing that I thought was interesting about the background characters is if you're not part of the main cast, you don't get a chair on this bridge. <laughs> um, and it's, it's not, we're not talking wharf style here where your job is to stand there at a particular station. <laughs> these were like little tiny stations kind of sticking out of the wall, almost like dispensers or something. And these people just have to stand there all the time until it's time to fall down. You'll stand there and like it. Right. <laughs> um, Everybody's on a timeout. so they all do their little uh their little intros and say hi and everything and then uh kirk's down to business where's decker and immediately people are like oh he's down in engineering but and sulu leans in he's like he he doesn't know yet does he or no it was Chekhov. excuse me yeah uh he doesn't he doesn't know which leads me to believe that like the entire crew knows that kirk is about to take decker's commission I'm figuring Uhura probably got the orders and let everybody know. Well, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. The Star Trek crew is not exactly known for, you know, closed lips here. They're going to tell everybody everything. <laughs> also, um, I, I imagine the ending of the, uh, of the meeting between Kirk and Nagura. All right. But you're going to tell him. Right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. So Kirk heads down to engineering. Now, this is the one that I thought was really cool. I had no idea when I was younger. This engineering is actually the Enterprise D, kind of. Um, it's big, huge swaths of it were reused for that show and reskinned. And if I you did look not at, know that. If you look at pictures of them. So this is the first engineering that has the upstairs deck, uh, the, okay. the glass walkway, and yes. it has the central warp core. And it has the, uh, the little workstations around the warp core. So in the first scenes, you can see it pretty easily. Kirk comes in and he rides down the elevator from the glass walkway up above. And you're like, that looks really familiar. And there's a reason for that because they reused that walkway. Um, they did rebuild the warp core in the middle after that. But that part... I was like, okay, I can kind of see that. And then you get down to the bottom and the workstations are all weird and different. And you're like, eh, not really. It's not really the same thing. What really got me is later in the movie, um, they're about to go into warp and a whole bunch of engineers flood into engineering from the hallway. The hallway is, as we will see in a little bit, very similar to the Enterprise D. <laughs> yes. Because it's the exact same set. Um <laughs> And then the doors to go into engineering are the giant double doors, the holodeck style doors that are used in or in uh, TNG. Uh, what they don't have is that weird little interlocking, interlocking. loop yeah. that, that's on the in the middle of it. They didn't put that on there, but the shape of the doors is exactly the same. What you see beyond the doors of like the archway that's inside the the room. And at, at one point, somebody's walking out of the room and I'm like, that's that little workstation that's right next to the door. <laughs> like, oh my God, it is the same set just with a crazy redress. That's amazing. Anyway, that's awesome. I could go on for hours about the set redresses. It, <laughs> no, it was that is so really cool, cool. Right? I had no idea. Um, yeah, I was I was reading uh, Astris Sciententia. Scientia, excuse me xastrascientia.org they have a really cool article that talks about the reskinning of all these sets ah. uh, i've 
use this for quite a few other things to to look into it and they have one specifically about engineering and shows side-by-side pictures and you're like yep that's same room (laughs) so now scotty is the jerk because scotty knew from the shuttle ride that kirk was about to to dump decker and scotty's sitting next to him just like do to do do to do everything's fine and kirk walks up and scotty's like whoa i'm i'm out i'm not uh, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> and it's just that look on his face. Like, yeah, I totally knew dude. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. Like seriously, how many people were just snickering behind this poor bastard's back? <laughs> and Kirk walks up. And he's like, Hey, can we talk now? Anybody who's had a boss knows that's not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> Those are not words you want to hear. Right. Just so you know, you're not the captain anymore. You're now commander. Um, but you can't go anywhere. You have to stay here. (laughs) That's great. I'm your new boss, but you're going to have to train me on how to do my job. Yes, absolutely. Well, (laughs) and of course at this point, Kirk is still too much of a jerk to, to say, yes, I'm going to need your help. No, he's like, Oh, it's the enterprise. Of course I know the enterprise. And Decker's like, no, you don't. This is not the same ship. It's good stuff. Oh, Kirk gives him my favorite line of this movie. Yes, but. I was out there on the five-year mission. Great. You've got five years of experience. Big whoop. <laughs> See, and this kind of sets up the whole uh, the whole uh, uh, boomer versus the new generation uh, flavor. Because even before this scene, after he leaves the, the uh, bridge, uh, 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 Sulu talks about, you know, he wanted her and he got her back. You know, the, yep. and the, the one alien that kind of looks like, looks like Bronson Pinchot, he's just kind of like, yeah, but what about Commander Decker? And Nakura is just like, yeah, you know what? We might actually come back alive because that guy's here. So, so Scotty's working on a terminal and it's, and uh, it starts sparking. Actually, one of his guys is working on it and it starts sparking and he's like, oh no. And an alarm goes off and they get a call from the transporter room. There's a problem. So who's going to go fix it? Kirk. So Kirk and Decker run down to the transporter room. Now, in the next scene, somebody's going to die. And I'm just going to put it right out there. It's Kirk's fault. Kirk killed two people. <laughs> so he runs into the room. And who's there? But Rand. Janice I Rand. love Rand. She's always good. And she's sitting there. She's doing her best. She's got the transporter working. She's moving all the buttons. She's pushing all the things, doing the sliders, blah, 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 blah. And these people are almost safe. And Kirk says, move aside. I got this. (laughs) And he gets in there and it doesn't work. And they see this like malformed, misshapen thing start materializing. And Rand turns around because she can't watch. And then it goes back to Star Trek or Starfleet. And I love the the response. They're like, hey, Starfleet, you got them, right? And they're like, well, we got something. And it, thankfully, it didn't live long. <laughs> now, in the novelization, we know that one of the uh, victims is Sonak. But in the novelization, the other victim is actually Kirk's wife. Now, in in the book, which was written by Roddenberry, marriages were done by a multi-year contract, sort of like an MBA contract. And his contract was about to come up. And this plays into a larger theme that when he walks out of this situation, he's unsure if he's more sad that he just lost his wife, who he wasn't sure if he was going to remarry or not, or happy that he has the Enterprise back and he has a little little conflict in there. In the scene itself, 
<laughs> I think it's hilarious that Kirk's a, attempt to try to console Jenna Rand is it was your fault. Okay. <laughs> I I rewound and watched that a couple a couple times because he he just looks at her, it wasn't your fault, and then he leaves. But like as he turns his back, the look she oh, shoots I him. Know. I oh know. my it's like God. She's like, you know what? If you would let me do this, <laughs> you know, the transport officer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they don't call that... me Chief Rand for nothing. Come on. Uh, yeah, I love that look she gives. Oh. It's like, oh, oh. Yeah, no, I don't feel bad, jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you're kind of missing the point, Jim, of who should be feeling bad right now. Right. <laughs> All right. So he. He doesn't have time to be sad because he's got a mission briefing. So he <laughs> heads down to the leisure room. The leisure room is, of course, designed like one of the hallways, but only much bigger, um, which I'm really sad that they didn't include that in TNG. I, I think that would have been fun, but whatever. <laughs> I'm sure that room had to be torn down and turned into another sound stage or something because it's gigantic. <laughs> so oh, one, one thing I want to bring up about Sonak being dead really quick. So Sonak is dead and he, and he tells Decker, Hey, I want another Vulcan if possible. And, and Decker tells him, well, nobody else is rated on this ship. It's like, well, you are Decker. So you'll have to do it. But then when Spock comes aboard later, it's like, Hey, can I take over the science station? Oh yeah. There's no concern about whether you're rated on the ship. He hasn't been in Starfleet for at least three years. And you're just mm-hmm. like, yeah, go ahead. Right. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. You're, you're a Vulcan, right? Captain <laughs> likes Vulcans. <laughs> So, I mean, the new design of the science station, was it really that complicated that some science officer couldn't figure this out? And wait a second, you have a science station that's only rated for one guy in the entire fleet. I mean, this is Kirk's personal ship, so... Um, So we just just sometimes does not think things through. Right? (laughs) So we get to the mission briefing, uh, which is a room filled with people. Um, and as we were talking about before the show, uh, all, all the people in the room weren't extras. A uh, large yeah. chunk of them were fans. Um, including uh, Bo Trimble. Uh, Bo Trimble would be the person who is uh, credited with the beginning, the letter writing campaign. Um, oh, yes. Got, yes. Uh, Star Trek a third season. So the Trimbles were part of the successful Save Star Trek campaign. Um, they, they were able to get the third season going, um, a whole bunch of people kind of helped out with this. This is after the, the first, uh, uh, of the conventions. So there was a lot more fans that were interested in, in this grassroots concept, uh, as a thank you to those fans, they were invited down to be extras on the, on the set and to, to be in the scene. They even went through makeup. I mean, if you look through there, there's people that are painted up as aliens, they're, you know, everybody's got a, a custom costume. Like they really went all out for these folks and they even paid them for their time. Um, Many of the chokes, uh, checks were never cashed. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> that means there's a whole bunch of people who have those things hanging on their wall. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I would uh, say, yeah, I'd probably do the same. Right. Um, incidentally, that was, I believe that was off of the IMDB page off of their trivia section that I found some more information there. So they go in and, and Kirk's about to tell everybody just what's going on here. And uh, immediately he gets a, a phone call 
uh, hey, everybody, uh, we got to deliver uh, some tactical information. And he's like, oh, screw it. I'm in front of the entire ship. Let's put it up on the big screen. <laughs> so that was a little odd, but whatever. Uh, and they they watch the, the or the space station. People are like, hey, we're, we're in some serious trouble here. We got a problem, blah, 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 blah. And then they die because they all get attacked by the cloud. Cloud and kills now, them. There's an interesting re-edit to this scene for some reason. Uh-huh. And I have no idea why. In the original edit, everyone's watching and you can hear a pin drop after the Epsilon 9 is is 3D rendered or digi- <laughs> digitally scanned, I guess. Right. Aggressively digitally scanned. I guess that's the best way to put it. Um, and As everyone's it standing. The Tron treatment. <laughs> and everyone's staring and kind of half-heartedly, Kirk says, viewer off. And Uhura stands there still looking at the screen. And then Kirk barks, you were off. And everybody jumps slightly at him doing that. I remember that. Yeah. And this, and they complete, that is not in this anymore. They've completely re-edited that scene. I wonder why they they did that. That's interesting. Well, um, before they turn off the screen, they do go to external view. Who is shooting this? <laughs> right? I I just like this idea that Starfleet has cameras all over everywhere in the universe. Um, they did it with the Klingons too. We got to see the Klingons as they destructed. And it's not so much that we saw it. It's that the space station saw it from their external view. Yo, yo, this is Ensign Anderson on TikTok <laughs> showing you the Epsilon station getting d- aggressively 3D scanned. <laughs> so uh uh so they they head back to the bridge um and uh we're gonna run into somebody new this is uh our good friend persis kambata uh playing navigator Ilya. uh persis kambata was uh, uh an actress who was around for quite a while she unfortunately passed away at a very young age uh, she only made yes. it to 49 died in 1998 yeah, had had some heart disease, I believe. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, so, and as this character, she's playing a Delton, um, who are the galaxy's hornballs, I guess. Um, she, she, um, they shaved her head for this scene, and uh, it's something I read today said that she uh, begged Roddenberry to take a insurance policy out in case it didn't regrow. Oh wow, I did read about that. Yeah. <laughs> So yes, now in the book they talk about Deltons, and this is just pure Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. This this is this is just you know this is a species that is so sexually advanced that human beings usually don't survive encounters with them. So automatically we were thinking now everyone's looking at Will Decker going, oh yeah, what's so special about you, dude? So you think he was going through a divorce at this time? I mean, <laughs> he's he's all about these aliens who are hypersexual. Um, he's all about wives dying in transporter accidents. <laughs> Just seems kind of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He had some uh, he had <laughs> he had some unique tastes, let's just put it that way. Oh, another thing I read about this, speaking of which. Uh, his wife, of course, would play uh, uh, Dr. Christine Chapel on this uh, um, after playing Nurse Chapel in the series. However, 
he tried to convince her to actually wear a tail and fur because she also voiced the cat. Uh, was she an ensign or a lieutenant in the animated series, Morris? No, she was the voice for Morris. And he tried to convince her to actually do that as a live action part. And she was not down. Imagine that. <laughs> so let me get this straight. I can either wear a uh, very slimming white outfit and I can be a doctor on the ship or I can wear a tail. I, I want to be a doctor. I want you to be a sexy cat. I want to be a doctor. I want you right. to be a sexy cat. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really not surprised how that turned out. So uh, we, we get back down to the transporter room because the captain has just been informed that somebody who's trying to get transported is not real happy about it. Can't imagine who that could be. <laughs> so he runs down to the transporter room. Another transporter room that was reused in the Enterprise D. Uh, he gets down there and um, a whole bunch of people transport in. He's like, hey, what's going on down there? And they're like, ugh, there's this guy. He doesn't want to do it. He said that we should die before he does, whatever. And she didn't say boomer, but she, her eyes but you definitely get the tone. Did. Yeah, right. Um, so Kirk's just like, oh yeah, well screw that. Hey, Starfleet, do it now. <laughs> I'm an admiral. Right. So he he gets Bones transported up to the, the transporter room, and Bones is ready. He is one wild and crazy guy. <laughs> I Dude. love the I love the commune gear he, he was rocking on this. Wow. For those who have not seen the movie, uh, DeForest Kelly shows up with a big mountain man beard, a literal gold medallion on a chain on his hairy <laughs> chest, and his shirt open down about six <laughs> or eight inches. Oh, man. It, it is quite the look. Right. Uh, for people of a particular generation, you might remember seeing pictures of your grandparents looking like this. <laughs> And of course, was he pull out? Your Admiral Nagura drafted me. Ugh. See, and here's the thing. Again, we go back to Nagura. I really would like to see a, a House of Cards style drama done about Admiral Nagura. Uh, I just the, this this era of Starfleet is is intriguing, and I really think there's I think there's some fertile ground there. Yeah, but they're gonna have to come up with some uh, colorful language to use. <laughs> I want to see like succession style, right? <laughs> yeah. Mako's too old to do it, isn't he? Yeah, Dang. probably. Um, Jim says, damn it, Bones. I need you badly. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow it doesn't get weird. Right. <laughs> and then Bones is like, wait, so I understand that Chapel's a doctor now. I'm going to, I'm going to need a new nurse. And I, okay. I don't know if this is a DeForest Kelly thing or if this is how he was trying to play it or what, but he was hammered, right? Cause <laughs> we're, we're guessing. So yeah. Oh man. Cause like he just, I, I kept waiting for him to be like, all right, I'm going to go sober up. <laughs> he just seemed trashed. <laughs> somebody was, somebody's loving their life after they, uh, after they left the military. It, it was one of those moments though, where I'm like, is that bones that's drunk or DeForest Kelly can't quite tell 80, 20, right. Um, 
So now it's time for departure. And this ship pull out of the garage. They go to pull out of the garage. And I got to say, giant LED panels. (laughs) In the first flyby, we see these massive LED panels that are just shining lights on the ship for some reason. There's not even anybody around it for the lights to be shining for. Um, And they're like half the saucer section. They're gigantic. And they, they actually made a point of like looking directly at them. It was a big deal. <laughs> now it's time to, to fly out. There's a whole scene of those things like moving out of the way. <laughs> what the hell are these lights? Who cares? Anyway. Um, so the, the, the guy who built the model was a big lighting, big right? lighting dude to begin with. So He's, I, I want you to be able to read what ship it is. Uh, it's very important. <laughs> I think people flying by should really get to see how it looks. Right. Um, interestingly enough though, like thinking about model building in the late seventies, they didn't actually have LEDs at their disposal. So those were either really tiny light bulbs or that was a big ass model. Oh yeah. Oh, speaking of light bulbs. Yeah. One of the things I read on this movie is that, uh, after a week in production, they had to change out almost all the uh, light bulbs behind the uh, buttons because the ones they had were too powerful and it was melting the, uh, the consoles that they were using. <laughs> That's fantastic. I mean, just looking at the production on this thing, it just looked like they were just. It it seemed like they were still building the movie while they were making the movie in many in many oh, cases. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so they 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 move out of space dock, and I may have fallen asleep during this one because and was, and oh. they don't take it out of second. No, they 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 get the entire thing out and leave, and they just never take it out of second. All right, so I timed it again. It's all, it was uh, like one second difference of it being two full minutes to leave space dock, <laughs> two minutes of the movie. And they played the Star Trek theme song again. And when they did, they slowed it down. Yes. <laughs> we all and, know that is not a fast song and they slowed it down. And here's the thing. The ship was going so slow. The orchestra was having a hard time playing the song that right? slow. <laughs> Oh my God. So they, they finally leave space dock. Um, and when they do, uh, they, they talk about how fast they're going to go. And Kirk says, uh, can, can you uh, do impulse power? And they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And he's like, okay, warp five, warp point five. Then and I'm like, wait, um, did you say impulse or warp? And okay, what's so, the difference? So here's what they did. This is, this is a writing faux pas. Normally in Star Trek from the series, he talks about the power of the ship. We're going to go one quarter impulse. We're going to go one half impulse. And here, for some reason, they decide to use the speed that they want to achieve. In this case, half of warp, which is warp being the the light constant. It's half the speed of light. Mm -hmm. Now, what we're used to is now I don't know how much impulse power that would take to get there. We'll just say, I don't know, you know, three quarters impulse. We're used to Kirk saying three quarters impulse and that, but this, in this particular instance, for some reason they decided to write it. No, he should say what speed they want to achieve, which makes no sense why you would change up the vernacular. I mean, the, you know, the vernacular, it, it, it completely, I think they were trying to be more sciencey. And all it did was sound goofy. Yeah, exactly. Um, the 
I, I think it was probably one of those things that they were still working on the show Bible, right? They, <laughs> they just haven't gotten it all ironed out yet. Cause I honestly, the sixties show was so much of a throwaway that I don't think they had a Bible for that show. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would, I think you're absolutely right. Um, okay. So they, they start moving. They even mentioned the fact that they're not really supposed to do warp while they're in the solar system. And I mean, what could possibly go wrong if they did that? Oh no, there's a wormhole. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I felt that the um, the the feeling of this scene wasn't really, oh my god, we're all gonna die. So much as, oh, I got a thorn. Oh, this is inconvenient, right? Like so you're tearing through the fabric of time and space in the middle of your home solar system. This is probably not a great thing. No, we're going to see the the effect of the light streaking back as we go through this. But um, also, I like that wormholes look like socks because um, uh, they were totally inside an argyle sock. Um, <laughs> They've gone plaid, right? Uh, it, it, so they 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 start going through this wormhole. Everybody's going very slow and looking very smeary. Uh, then they they see a big rock, and Kirk's like, "You know what we should do? Shoot the rock. That's the way to go." Here's up. <laughs> Why is there a rock in the wormhole? I, that I don't understand. Okay, so my theory is I'm going to do the rationalization. This is rationalization. <laughs> um, when they did when they their unstable warp shell causes the wormhole. The asteroid was in the vicinity and gets pulled in. All right. Shooting the asteroid with your uh, antimatter torpedoes. uh, You create enough energy to snap the wormhole uh, back into, uh, into normal space. I just, I don't think wormhole is the word they really wanted to use here. Actually, you're that is funny you mentioned that because uh, Isaac Asimov, I believe, mentioned that. Yeah, that's not the right word for that, right? I believe he he's called it a temporal. Oh, I can't remember a temporal, temporal something, fissure, something of that nature. But well, yeah, it uh, so they decide they're going to shoot this rock to get to get themselves out. Um, which I honestly, I was just like, why didn't they just stop? It seems like it would have worked better. Um, and when they when they start trying to shoot the phasers at it, because uh, Kirk, Kirk's like, just shoot the phasers, and they're about to no. hit go, and Decker's like, no, don't do that. Believe that phaser. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty one good. of my favorite lines. And uh, <laughs> so he he goes over and he tells Pavel to go ahead and just shoot a torpedo instead. So they shoot a torpedo, boom, rock blows up. Everybody's like, whew, wormholes. Uh, it was all taken care of. Yay. This Just, leads to one of my favorite lines, though. <laughs> Doctor, you'll be happy to hear that there are no casualties. Wrong, Mr. Chekhov. There are casualties. My wits, as in frightened out of Captain Sir. <laughs> he, he should have said my pants. I'm, I'm sorry. He just, uh, my pants. Uh, I'll be back after I go change. <laughs> I just love holding him with Goya. You drag me back for this. <laughs> Thanks, pal. <laughs> so as I'm sure you've already figured out, we got pretty long-winded with this one. So we're going to go ahead and pause here and come back for the next episode. I'd like to say a big thank you to 
our friends over at fiveyearmission.net for the use of their song Beam Down for our intro and outro. And uh, please make sure to check them out at fiveyearmission.net where they've got lots of great songs, great albums, uh, everything about the old series track. It's fantastic. Uh, thanks again, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Start at 8, 3,